Amen. 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 Thank you, Barry. Good morning, everyone. Take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Mark this morning. Chapter 9, we'll pick up in verse 14. We left off in verse 13 last week. It's on page 409, if you might be using one of the Bibles provided when you came in this morning. I've shared with you guys that um, the first church I pastored was in Indiana. It was actually called Kokomo, Indiana. Anybody ever been through Kokomo, Indiana? It's about 45 minutes north of uh, Indianapolis. Most of you guys are going, no, you're not missing much. I'll just tell you that. It sounds tropical. It is not. But uh, I pastored my first church there, and um, one Sunday, uh, the kids at that time, our son Caleb was about five, our daughter Caitlin was three, around three, and uh, one Sunday um, after church, several ladies kept coming by my wife and congratulating her, and they're like, hey, congratulations, we heard the good news, we heard the secret, we'll keep it on the down low. And, she, and they would just kind of walk off. And she would be like, what? what? She was like, I, I don't know. Has Doug got something planned? You know, what are they talking about? And this happened. Three or four different ladies kept coming by and congratulating her and saying, we heard the good news. We know it's a secret. We won't tell anyone. So finally, a lady comes by and says, she's like, can I ask you, what is it that you heard? We heard you're pregnant and you're having a little boy, which was not true. <laughs> and she's like, I'm not pregnant, and I, I, I'm not having a little boy, I'm not pregnant. I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, where did you hear that? She goes, well, your daughter, Caitlin, who was three at the time, stood up in her Sunday school class and said, I've got a secret, my mom's pregnant, and I'm having a brother. <laughs> Evidently, she did not care for the one she already had. <laughs> and now that she is uh, 14, almost 15, he's 16, almost 17, I'm not sure much has changed, but... Uh, she, she wanted everybody to know that secret. You have to be careful with secrets. Well, last week we uh, began talking about secrets because in this section of Mark that we're studying in our uh, Gospel of Mark, verse by verse as we're going through this all summer, um, we talked about some secrets that Jesus was sharing with his disciples. So today we're in part two of secrets. Um, in Deuteronomy 29, 29, I shared this with you last week that surprises some people that God actually has some secrets. It says in this uh, passage on the screen, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us. And in this section we're looking at in chapter 9, uh, Jesus is revealing three spiritual secrets to his disciples and to us today. And these were practical to the disciples at that time and they're practical to us today. Now by, by way of review, let me give you last week, we just looked at the first of the three secrets. We'll look at the other two today and I'd encourage you if you missed last week, you can go to our website orchardchurch.tv and you can watch that message. But last week we learned the first secret that Jesus shared with his disciples, which was what? Help me church. No pain. No gain. And then we've probably heard that before. And in chapter 8, verse 27 through chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus told his disciples the secret that he was going to die. That he was going to go to Jerusalem, he would be arrested, he would be killed, he would cruci be crucified, and he would rise again on the third day. And he let them in on this secret that he came to give his life. Of course, it confused the disciples at first. They didn't understand this secret. We talked about that. But then, after he told them he was going to die, he said, but then I'm going to be glorified. And, and we know that at the second coming of Christ, which is yet to happen, he's going to come in glory and majesty. Amen? 
He's going to come differently than he did the first time. He's not going to come as a little baby in a manger. He's going to come as the, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's going to rule, and he's going to reign in majesty and glory. And so there was first pain and suffering, but it led to his glory. And he, to help the disciples out, remember he took them up on the high mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, Mount Hermon. You can go visit there today. It's about 9,500 feet. And he took his disciples, Peter, James, and John. He chose three of them. He took them up on that mountain, and he gave them a sneak peek, a pre like a movie preview of his glory at his second coming and he taught them no pain no gain suffering leads to glory it did and will for Jesus but it also is true in our life in, in, in this life what does the Bible say and I think about this verse with what has gone on this week Jesus said you will have tribulation but be of good cheer I've overcome the world there's some pain and there's some suffering there's some trials that happen in our life now but we know that we're gonna share in the glory and victory one day with Jesus for all eternity amen and so that was the first secret no pain no gain and now Jesus is coming down the mountain with Peter James and John off the Mount of Transfiguration coming down to the base of Mount Hermon with those three disciples and trouble has been brewing down below because the other nine disciples were left alone down there the crowds have gathered some other people have showed up, the scribes, some of the religious leaders, and some things are about to happen. And that's where we pick up, up the story uh, this week. And we see Jesus reveal the second secret. The first one was no pain, no gain. The second secret is this. Power comes from faith. Power comes from faith. Let's pick it up in chapter 9, verse 14. And when he came to the disciples... This was the other nine down at the base of Mount Hermon. He saw a great multitude around them. The crowds had gathered and scribes disputing with them. They're disputing with the disciples and picking on them. Immediately when, Jesus, when they saw Jesus, all the people were greatly amazed, running to him and greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? He's like, why are you picking on my boys? You know, what, why are you giving them a hard time? Why are you messing with them? Then one of the crowd answered, and here was what was going on. Here was the trouble. One of them in the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a moot spirit. He was deaf. He couldn't speak. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And, and the reason this young man was deaf was because he was possessed by a demonic spirit that had taken his speech and sometimes tried to throw him in the fire and throw him in the water. And it, I mean, was, had oppressed this man's son. And so he's like, I've heard of this man, Jesus. He can cast out demons. So he's trying to find Jesus. Jesus is on the mountain, you know, 9,500 feet up. So he runs into the other nine disciples. And so he says, well, maybe they can cast out the demon. But they could not, he says. They couldn't do it. And he answered him and said... O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? You can kind of sense Jesus' frustration. And then what does he say? Bring him to me. That's an important statement Jesus says there. Bring him to me. Then they brought him to Jesus, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. He fell on the ground. He wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, he's saying, Jesus, if you have the power and ability, have compassion and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, what's the next word, church? Jesus flips around. The, the guy's like, Jesus, if you have the power, if you could do anything. And the guy's like, well, if you can believe, if you can have the faith, 
all things are possible to him who, what? Believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of this young man. And he came as one, or he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. They thought he was dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose, and he was alive. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we do that? Why could we not cast out the demon like you did? And so Jesus said to them, This kind come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. We see the second secret revealed here that power comes through faith or from our faith. There was this dual problem when Jesus came down the mountain with his disciples, Peter, James, and John, to the other disciples. They couldn't cast out the demon. That was one problem. And then the scribes were taunting them about it, teasing them, making fun. Oh, you know, you say you have power. You say you're a follower of Jesus. Why can't you cast out this demon? Now, what was the solution at this point? Since the disciples couldn't do it, well, verse 19, what does Jesus say? Bring him to me. You know, that's always the answer, isn't it, church? You want the answer to problems, situations, tragedies? Bring people to Jesus. That, let's make no mistake about it. That is the number one goal of the Orchard Church. It's to bring people to Jesus. It's not just to get people in a program. It's not just to get people in church, in this room. It's not just to get people in a small group or worshiping or in discipleship. All of those are avenues and channels to ultimately bring people to Jesus. If it's about anything but that, we've missed it. Because the power comes through Jesus Christ, God's Son. And as I think about this tragedy in Aurora that just took place, and so many people are asking questions, why? And why would someone do this? And how do people deal with this? And you know what the answer is to all of that? It's Jesus. Because someone who truly knows Jesus would not do something like that. And people that have lost friends and family members, you know the only person that's truly going to get them through that? It's Jesus Jesus is the answer. What a great example here. When nobody else could meet someone's needs, Jesus says, bring him to me. Now, why couldn't the disciples cast out this demon? As we've been following the, the study verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark, we've seen, that. remember a couple of weeks ago, Jesus took his disciples and sent them out into the different cities by twos, and he gave them power to heal people and cast out demons. And they were successful. And now, all of a sudden, they can't do it. What, what was the problem? Why couldn't they cast out this demon? Well, I think there's really only one answer. They were probably trying to do it in their own power this time. Instead of the power of Jesus, they were lacking the faith that maybe they had before. Maybe they got lackadaisical about this. They'd forgotten what Jesus said. I love this verse. Boy, it keeps life in perspective for me. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branch. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. But without me, you can do how much, church? Nothing. Isn't that a great verse to live by? When we abide in Jesus and he abides in us and we allow him to guide and direct our life, he can accomplish many things. But apart from him, we can do nothing. Now, contrast that with Philippians 4, 13, a verse a lot of people love to claim that's true. I can do all things through Christ, which gives me strength. The power comes through our faith in Christ. I like the way one writer said it. The only way you will be disappointed with yourself is when you trust yourself in the first place. 
That's what gets us in trouble. And yet we meet people all the time. We counsel with people. Trying to do life on their own, their way, the world's way. Trying to have a good marriage their way. Trying to raise you know, their kids the, their way. Trying to conduct their finances their way. Never consulting God. Never consulting His Word. And those are the people that usually, usually need counseling. And like the great theologian Dr. Phil likes to ask, how's that working for you? It doesn't work very well, does it? How many of y'all have tried to do life your way and found out you made a mess of things? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And Jesus is giving us a great example here that he has to be the one guiding and directing. And when we are connected with him and our faith is in him, we can accomplish incredible things through his power as he guides and he leads us. But apart from him, we can do nothing. And notice what Jesus says here in verse, four, verse 19. Out of frustration, he, he, he looks at the disciples, he looks at the crowd, he looks at the scribes, he looks at everybody and he says, Oh, faithless generation, where is your faith? Their lack of faith and trust in him. I mean, I wonder, would Jesus ask that question of many of us today? Where's your faith? Where's your trust in me? Where's your belief in my word and what I've promised and, and what I've said? Now, the key to the secret, and the secret that's revealed is in verse 23. Then Jesus said to him, if you can believe, how many things are possible? All things are possible to him who believes, who has faith. The power comes from faith, belief in Jesus. Is Jesus strong enough to meet the needs of your life? Is a question to answer this morning. Your habits, your hangups, your hurts, is he powerful enough to meet those needs by faith? The answer is what, church? Yes. But we have to be willing to step out in faith, trust him, and believe that. I mean, do you really believe? If you're here today, and like too many people, unfortunately, but reality is your marriage is struggling. It's hanging on by a thread. You don't know if it's going to continue or not. Do you believe and have the faith that Jesus can heal that marriage? He can. If you're struggling with your relationship with your kids, do you believe that Jesus can step in and he can heal your kids and he can heal your relationship with your kids? Some of you I know, a lot of people are struggling with their finances, not knowing, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to pay the mortgage? Where are we going to find a job? There was a gentleman in our church just last week. He came in last Sunday morning and he said, you know, I lost my job. But you know what? I know God's in control. I have faith and trust in him. He had faith. He walked in this morning and he said, by Tuesday last week, God gave me a job. That's faith. That's belief in what Jesus can do in your relationships, with your health. Believing that. That the same power that Jesus possessed in all these stories where we keep reading these incredible, miraculous stories of Jesus doing these things. Do you believe that he still has that same power today? It's not a question of Jesus, just like the man asked, you know, if you can do anything. It's not a question of what Jesus can and can't do. It's a question of how much faith do we have? How much belief and trust in Jesus do we really have? Now look at verse 24. It says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe but help my unbelief. I thank God for that man's response. I've been there. I believe in Jesus. I believe he saved me. I believe in his word and I believe in his promises. But sometimes I still find myself with some doubt and unbelief. If you've been there, say yes. 
And I love this statement. I believe, but help my unbelief. Help my lack of faith. Maybe that's the very prayer that some of you need to pray today. I believe, but Jesus, help my unbelief. And I want you to be real practical this morning with this. I've given it to you in your notes. Help my unbelief in my fill-in-the-blank. That's for you to fill in today. We're not putting the fill-in on the screen because it's, it's personal for each and every one of you. Maybe you need to write in there, help my unbelief in my marriage with my kids, my finances, my health, my job situation. Whatever it is, you write it down today. Where do you need God to help your faith be stronger, to help your unbelief, to say to Jesus, give me extra faith, give me extra strength, extra hope to get through whatever trial or challenge you're finding. Write that down and claim that this morning and pray that to Jesus. Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help where I'm lacking in faith. In verse 25, we see that Jesus heals his son. He casts out the demon, and the power comes after the man says, I believe, and help my unbelief. The power came through his faith. The demon is cast out. And then in verse 28 and 29, you notice what happens? The disciples watch all this, and they're like, oh, man, why couldn't we do that? We, we tried, and we've done it before, but we couldn't do it this time. And so they go into the house, and privately, because they didn't want to be embarrassed in front of everybody else, they say to Jesus, why couldn't we cast out this demon? What, what, what was our problem? What, why can we do that? And the answer is they, they lacked faith. The reason we know that is because what does Jesus say? What's his response? He says, this kind come, come out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now, don't make the mistake here of thinking that the miracle is in the praying and the fasting. Like that's a magic bullet. Okay, if I just pray and fast then it's going to happen. No, what do, who does prayer connect us to? God. Who does fasting connect us to? God. Prayer and fasting are tools and avenues to connect us to God who has the power to display our faith. And that's what he's saying here. They lack the prayer. Probably at this time, the disciples were distracted by many things and they'd gotten their eyes off Jesus. I'm sure the nine, remember it was the nine that were down below that was, the boy was brought to and they couldn't cast out the demon. You think just maybe those nine were a little bit jealous that Peter, James, and John got to be the special boys of Jesus to go up on the hill and they didn't get to go? Well, why don't we, I mean, why don't we get to go with Jesus? Why did they get to go see this preview? We don't get to see it. There probably was a little jealousy going on, probably a little confusion, a little debating about it. We know that to be true, as you're going to see in just a moment. They were distracted by thinking of themselves instead of others and not thinking about... You don't read anywhere that the disciples were praying, they were fasting, that you don't read that they were calling on Jesus. They were just trying to do this on their own. They were probably distracted by the crowds. They're like, oh my gosh... You know, there's so much pressure. Jesus is, you know, not here. And he's the one that does everything. And all these crowds have gathered. And then now the religious leaders have showed up. And they're teasing us and taunting us. And, you know, they're just letting the circumstances around them get them discouraged and distracted from focusing on where the ultimate power comes, which was Jesus. And don't we do the same thing? We get distracted by the circumstances and the trials and tribulations and situations of life. Sometimes to the point that we even forget to pray. We forget to call upon the one who has the ultimate power because power comes through, say it church, faith. It comes through our faith. Now, a contrast, a great example to show power through faith, the opposite of this story, the lack of faith in the disciples, 
The positive faith of someone is Abraham. He's known as a man in the Bible of great faith. And let me give you the context. When he was 100 years old and his wife was close to 100, you know, God had promised them a son, but they were well beyond the childbearing years, and yet they still believed that God was going to give what was promised. And listen to their great faith talked about by Paul in Romans chapter 4, verse 20. It says, Abraham, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in what, church? Faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that he had promised or, or, or that what he had promised, God had promised, he was also able to perform. Abraham, even though the circumstances of life around him made it impossible for them to have a child, they did not waver in their faith and believed what God had said and God provided them a son, exact Isaac, exactly what God had promised. Here's the question this morning, church. Will you believe what God has promised you in his word. You know, do you believe this morning, have faith, when Jesus said he'll never leave us or forsake us? Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that what he said, I, I shall my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory? Not all your wants. We like to change that. All your need. Do you believe this morning that his grace is sufficient for whatever you go through? Do you believe this morning what it says in the scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that he's the God of all comfort? I mean, I could go on and on this morning, the promises of God. But the question is, not what does God's word say, not does he have enough power, but do you have enough faith? Do you believe? Because power comes from faith. It was true for the disciples and it's true for us today. Where does God want to unleash his power in your life today? Through your faith. Your faith and trust in him. The first secret he revealed to his disciples was no pain, no gain. Suffering leads to glory. Hang in there. The second secret he revealed was power comes from faith. Belief and trust in what God can do in your life. Here's the third secret we're going to spend the remainder of our time looking at this morning. Service leads to greatness the third secret jesus reveals to his disciples and us is our service leads to greatness let's pick it up in verse 30 of chapter 9 then they departed from there and they passed through galilee and he did not want anyone to know it okay jesus at this point from this point in our study of gospel mark on is going to turn from the multitudes and the crowds and he's going to spend most of his time with the disciples, training them and teaching them and he's headed to Jerusalem to go be arrested and crucified. And so he's trying to kind of avoid the crowds and the people. His public ministry is coming to a close and his private ministry is beginning to take place and that's why he kind of wants to kind of go in stealth. You know, he's going to kind of try to slip through. And so he's coming from way up here, Mount Hermon, where that little red dot is. He's coming through the Sea of Galilee, back down to Capernaum and then he's going to head to Jerusalem as we're going to see uh, next week. He's going to head that, that way. For he taught his disciples and said to them, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise on the third day. He's telling them again, I'm going to die. But they did not understand this saying. They're still confused by it. And they were afraid to ask him. Now, you remember those of you that were here last week? Whenever he first told him he was going to die, Peter decides to be the spokesman. And he decides to pull Jesus aside and try to rebuke him. Did that go well for Peter? No, Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Jesus tells them again, I'm about to be crucified, I'm going to die. And it says they didn't understand, but they were afraid to say anything. They were like, we saw what happened to Peter last week. We're, we, we got it, we're going to just keep our mouth shut this time. Even Peter didn't speak, good idea. 
Then they came to Capernaum. This was kind of the headquarters they kept coming back to. They would go minister. They'd come back to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, probably Peter's house, he asked them, what were you guys disputing among yourselves on the road? Busted. Now this was, remember, a 15, 20-mile journey. They were traveling, and all the way, the disciples, Jesus is probably out front leading them, and the disciples are in the back, and they're arguing, and they're disputing about something, and Jesus knows it. I mean, you thought it was tough when you go on road trips and your kids are fighting in the back seat. That's what Jesus is dealing with here with his disciples. And he's like, uh, by the way, guys, what was it you guys were arguing, disputing about for the last 20 miles of our foot journey, which would have taken days? But they kept silent. <laughs> They're learning. They kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the what, church? Who would be the greatest? Who would be the greatest? I mean, isn't this sad? Jesus has just told his disciples again, I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be killed. And all they can think about is who's going to be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. You see, they're still focused on this physical, earthly kingdom that Jesus is going to bring in. And they're like talking about, well, who's going to be vice president? And who's going to be secretary of state? And who's going to be in the cabinet? And the nine were probably thinking, well, Peter, James, and John, we already know they're going to be way up there. You know, they got to go with Jesus on the mountain. We know that he, they're his favorites. And so the rest are all debating about, you know, what position are we going to have? And how are we going to get to rule and reign and have these positions of power? And there was jealousy going on and fighting and disputing and all of this. And... And the problem was this, everyone was trying to jockey for position and be the greatest. Now, listen, Jesus is going to let his disciples know and let us know, you were designed for greatness. I got good news this morning. You were designed for greatness by God. But it's not defined the way the world defines greatness. Jesus defines it very differently than the world, the world defines it. And the secret that Jesus is going to let them know is, listen, I want you disciples to be great. But here's the secret. You want to be great? Service leads to greatness. Serving other people. Not being served, but being a servant. You know, if you think about this world today, you know, the people that the world would say are the greatest and are the people that have, you know, the most wealth and power and position and things like that and maybe even have servants you know people that clean their house and people that wait on them and take care of them and do all these things in the asian culture you ever seen these people with really long nails i got a picture of a guy it's probably gonna gross you out yeah i'd hate to have to file those suckers this guy this is this is common in the asian culture and it's a sign of greatness and prestige and wealth because someone with nails that long cannot do anything for themselves. They can't even brush their teeth. Somebody else has to do everything for them and that to them is a sign of, of greatness. But Jesus says, no, you want to be great, you've got to serve others. And so Jesus now, in the rest of this chapter, he details four ways to be great by serving others. This would have been an incredible challenge to the disciples that were debating about who's going to be greatest. And it's an incredible challenge to us today if we want to be great in God's eyes and in his kingdom. Greatness comes from serving. And there's four ways. Here's the first one. You must be last, not first. If you want to be great in God's eyes and his kingdom, you've got to serve. You've got to strive to be last, not first. Look at verse 35, what Jesus says to his disciples after knowing they've been debating about who's going to be greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone desires to be first, 
he shall be what, church? Last of all and servant of all. I'm sure the disciples were like, oh, man, that's not what we had in mind. We were thinking of people serving us and being great. You're saying we got to serve other people? Yep. Then he took a little child. He's going to give him an illustration with a, with a child. A little child in the Bible usually is like an infant, okay, probably a toddler. Then he took a little child, an infant, and he set him on the midst, in the midst of them. And when he had taken the little child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Jesus says, listen, to be great, you have to serve. You have to be willing to be last, not first. I mean, we live in a world that's all about being number one, isn't it? I mean, we're all interested in who's number one. I mean, you know, you turn on the sports polls, and you know, is, is our team in the top ten? You know, are, are we number They never talk about who's 250th. You know, they talk about the top five, the, the top ten. You, you look at the polls. You, you look at movies. You know, they come out on the weekends. You know, here was the top five grossing movies. You know, you, you go to Billboard magazine to find out what's the top, top five or ten or twenty, top forty songs. You know, which one's the greatest? You know, you, you look at stocks. You know, what's the best stock? What, what's number one? I mean, we're programmed by our world and society to be interested in number one. And being number one. And yet Jesus reveals this great secret in verse 35. And he says this. He says, if anyone desires to be first, to be number one, he shall be last of all and servant of all. You've got to be a servant. You've got to be last, not first. You, what is Jesus saying here? You've got to be willing to put the needs of others before yourself. That's what makes you great in God's eyes. Now, to illustrate this in verse 36 and 37, he takes this child and he puts him on his lap and he begins to talk. Now, why did he do that? You have to understand, in that culture at that time, children were hardly acknowledged by men at all. In that culture, only the women interacted with the children, took care of the children. The men, even fathers, rarely if ever touched their children, picked up their children, hugged their children. They usually didn't interact with their boys until they were old enough to work in the field. They didn't usually interact with their girls until they were old enough to be married off so they could get a dowry for the family. The idea of that culture at that time with children was children are to be seen and not heard. That was kind of the, the philosophy. And so they were some of the most neglected at that time. So what does Jesus do? He's telling them, you know, those that are most neglected and don't get attention, you need to give the most attention. He's using the child as an example. And he picks up the child, which would have been very abnormal, especially for a rabbi, for a teacher like Jesus to do that. And he puts him on his lap and he shows love and he shows affection. You know, parenting. How many of y'all are parents? Okay. You want to talk about something that teaches you to put the needs of others before yourself? Become a parent. Especially when your children are infants, when they're little. You don't get a schedule anymore. They make the schedule for you, right? Some of you, you moms with new babies, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of our real good friends, we've become really close friends with our neighbors across the street. You know, and they have a, like a two-year-old, and a, he's like nine-month-old. And, and I mean, it's like they're, you were like, hey, you guys want to get together, you know, play cards or something? They're like, we're always home. We never get out of the house. 
You know, and I mean, they're telling us, yeah, we were up last night till three in the morning. I mean, a parent has to, you know, completely put their needs aside and focus on their child, the, the needs of their child. And that's the picture here that Jesus is trying to use with this illustration. Take care of others like a parent would take care of a newborn child. Putting them first. You know what Jesus is saying? You have it in your notes. Don't be self-centered. Be others-centered. Now, ultimately, we know we're to be Jesus-centered. But here's the deal. If we're Jesus-centered, guess what? We're going to be others-centered. Because Jesus was all about others. And putting the needs of others before himself or anyone else. The secret to being great is to serve. We serve by being last, not first. Here's another thing Jesus says. We serve to be great by this. We must be inclusive, not exclusive. If we're going to serve others and be great, we've got to be inclusive, not exclusive. Now, Jesus just taught them about serving and putting the needs of others and thinking about others. And John is going to now speak up. It's nice to see somebody besides Peter saying something. And John is probably feeling a little guilty here about something that happened. Watch what happens. Now, John answered Jesus saying, Teacher, um, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him. We told him to stop because he does not follow us. He's not one of us. But Jesus said, don't forbid him. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. He's on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You know what Jesus is saying here? Be inclusive, not us exclusive the disciples here they, they saw this guy that wasn't one of them and wasn't following them but he was casting out demons in jesus name now this is really interesting coming off the story where the other disciples couldn't cast out the demon and then yet they see this other guy doing it and they're probably like well probably jealous of it and so they're trying to figure a way to tear him down you know and everything and and so they say you can't do that and so they bring this up to jesus and and, and they, what had happened here is the disciples kind of got into this us for no more mentality you know, if you're not with us, you're not one of us, you're not as great, and you know, you can't do that. You know, they saw this guy casting out demons, they're like, listen, you're not one of the card-carrying apostolic club members. You can't do that. And Jesus says, yes, he can. Jesus says the secret to being great is by trying to include others, not by trying to shut them out. And boy, we can apply this in a lot of ways, church. You know, sometimes you see churches and denominations think that they're the only one doing anything for Jesus. You know, there's a lot of great churches in this community that are doing a lot of great things for Jesus. Amen? They may do it differently than we do it. They may have different music. They may dress differently than me. You might, little thing here or there. But they're, they're trying to reach people in Jesus' name and being effective. We ought not judge that. You know, we ought to encourage anybody that's bringing people to Jesus, true saving knowledge uh, of Jesus. We not, not get caught up in, you know, well, our church is better than another church or our denomination is better than another denomination and thinking that we're better. Now, let me, let me balance that by saying this. If there are churches that are teaching false doctrine, things that do not line up with this book, that's different. We are to speak out against that. But people that are preaching the truth of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ... We ought to encourage that. I love what just happened right here in our own community. And I don't know, we mentioned it, but I don't think we talked maybe enough about it. We just partnered. We had Vacation Bible School this summer. 200 kids in our community came out for Vacation Bible School. It was not put on just by the Orchard Church. 
It was the Orchard Church that meets here at Prairie View High School and Crossroad Church that meets at Landmark Academy in Reunion. The two churches came together in the name of Jesus to reach children and make a difference in this community. That is almost unheard of, you guys. But that, that's a good thing to happen. Amen? Can we celebrate that this morning? That's how it ought to be. That's how it ought to be. Listen, they're a, gr they're a great church. They do things a little differently than we do, and they attract some people we don't attract, and we attract some people that they don't attract. But listen, we are friends. I'm friends with their campus pastor. I'm friends with their main pastor. When we see them in Starbucks, you know what we do? We hug each other. Th this is a true story. Barry, our assistant pastor who did the welcome, he lives in Reunion. A few, yours, few doors down from him lives the main pastor of Crossroads Church. They had a block party there in Reunion, and people began to, you know, what do you do, what do you do? And, and there was a man that found out that Barry was the assistant pastor at the Orchard Church, and the other guy was the, the lead head pastor, Keith, over at Crossroads. And you know what the man said? Oh, you're pastor at the Orchard. You're pastor at Crossroads. You guys should, like, fight or something. You should, like, wrestle. And both Barry and Keith said, we're on the same team. We're, we love each other. We're on, the, we're on the same team. That's what Jesus is talking about here. But it goes beyond just churches and denominations. It's personal it, it, in our lives as well. Listen, we, we've said this before. We, we are not going to stop reaching people in this community. We're not going to close the doors and turn people away until everyone in this community knows Christ, which means we're going to be at it for a long time. Amen? We do not, you say, well, we, we had to go from one service to two services. We might have to go to three services. We might have to go to four services. That's a great problem to have, church. And I've told you before, and it breaks my heart. There have been some people that have left the Orchard Church, and they've said this. It's just too big. That's sad to me. That means you, the people don't get it's not about numbers. And, and it's never been my heart and goal to have some mega church. That's not at all. We want to plant other churches. We want to get enough people so we can send 50 and 100 at a time like we did a year and a half ago and plant another church like the Orchard Church of Erie. Which, by the way, guess what? Last week, Orchard Church of Erie, 170 people. How about that? They had a special day and... They, they were real creative. They had like this cheerleading camp and then they invited people and they gave the awards out on Sunday. And, you know, I, I asked Nick, text me because they'd been running about 100. They'd been trying to get over that 100 barrier and he texted me. He said, we had 170. And, and I said, wow, what did you guys do? Did you give out free beer or something? What did, you know? <laughs> He's like, no, we had a cheerleading camp, you know, and had to have some fun with that. But, but that's, that's awesome. And but we don't, we don't, listen, we don't want to have the attitude at the orchard that we want to be inclusive or, you know, exclusive and, and, and exclude other people. We want to include other people. We don't want to become some holy huddle. This is not the Orchard Church Country Club. It's the Orchard Church that has a commission to reach this community for Christ. And let me say this, we're getting ready to launch our small groups in the fall, which if you're not in a small group, get in a small group. It's the best way to get connected in our church and relationships. But, it, but, but I'm going to go ahead and give you a warning right now. Don't just get in the same group. You've always got in with the same people. Invite other people. Include other people. Be inclusive, not exclusive. That's the secret to greatness. It's serving by being last, not first. By being inclusive, not exclusive. And then there's another thing. If we're going to be great by serving others, we have to be serious about sin. This is a tough one. Now, be serious about sin. Look at verse 42. Now, let me just say this right here. If, 
if I could skip a passage of Scripture, this is one I would skip. There are a lot of churches that won't touch this next passage with a 10-foot pole. But when you teach the Bible verse by verse like we do at the orchard, this is one of the powers of teaching verse by verse. You don't get to skip and pick and choose what you like and don't like. Amen? You're going to see that big time next week. Chapter 10, verse 1 through 12. Just take a peek at that. Not right now. Take a peek at it later. It's one of the most controversial, debated passages in the Bible about marriage and divorce. And so... These are verses that's good for us to go verse by verse, so we have to deal with these things. And look at what Jesus says in verse 42. But whoever causes one of these little ones, and this, here are this little ones, he says, who believes in me. He's, he's not just talking about little children, he's talking about baby Christians, new believers in the faith. Whoever causes one of them to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And here's the remedy. He says, you've got to be serious about sin. Think about others. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands and go to hell. Into the fire that should never be quenched. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter in life lame rather than having two feet be cast into hell. Into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47, and if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes be cast into hell fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Okay, how do we deal with that? Now, let me say this. Some of you may be using different versions of the Bible, and that's fine. Um, we use the New King James Version as kind of the, the main version, so we kind of can be on the same page here. How many of your Bibles, verse 44 and 46, are missing? Some of you see that? Don't let that freak you out. Um, the King James line comes from the, one of, I believe, the most respected lines of original manuscripts. That's why we choose to use the King James line, the New King James. And uh, it's called the Texas Receptus, the majority text. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Some of you are like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And in that, those two verses are there. In some of the other manuscripts, it's not. And so don't freak out. Some of you all are not going to be able to sleep because you're like, why is those not in mine? But here's the deal. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you really care about others, especially new believers, baby Christians, you'll be serious about sin. You'll watch your testimony. Because sin affects more people than just you. If you agree, say yes. Sin never affects just you. We saw that just this week. Does Jesus want us to apply? Now, here's the question. As you read these verses, you know, does Jesus want us to apply these verses literally? Or is he speaking figuratively when he's like, cut off your foot and poke out your eye and cut off your hand? I mean, does Jesus really want us to apply these verses literally? No. It goes much further than that. Much further. You know why? Because we know sin originates in the heart. If, and listen, John MacArthur, one of my favorite uh, authors and commentators, said it this way. Jesus' words, he says of this passage, Jesus' words are to be taken figuratively because no amount of self-mutilation can deal with sin, which is ultimately an issue of the heart. Amen? So what is Jesus trying to do here? He's trying to get our attention. And he's got it, doesn't he? You read these verses and it's like, whoa. This is extreme. He's trying to get us to be serious about sin. Now, one of the reasons why I know that Jesus is not speaking literally, because he says, you know, if your hand, you know, offends you or causes you to sin, cut it off. If a thief, if you cut off a thief, one of his hands, what's he going to do with his other hand? He's going to continue stealing. If you poke out some guy's one eye, is he not going to lust with the other? Ooh, look, you, you know, he's still, 
He's probably going to get a telescope, you know. He's still going to lust. That's not going to stop him from sinning and lusting. I believe what Jesus is doing here is painting us a picture of the three main portals or channels of sin. Hands, feet, and eyes. What do hands represent? What we do. We can sin or not sin by what we do. Our feet, the places we go. There are places we go, like to church, that can be very good for our spiritual life. There are other places we could choose to go that we know every time I go there, I sin. I give in to temptation. I mess up. Our eyes, what we see. We can choose to put our eyes on God's word and the things of God, or we can choose to put our eyes on things that can cause us to, to be tempted and to sin. I mean, Jesus is saying here, you've got to watch your hands, you've got to watch your feet, you've got to watch your eyes, you've got to watch what you do, what you see, where you go, your hands. That mouse can get you in trouble, can it? Your fist. You can take something with your hands. The financial books. You can do evil and sin with your hands. Every time you come to church on Sunday, you can choose to give something to God or not give something to God. You can choose to give a tithe and honor God or you can choose to rob God, is what the scriptures say, with your hands. Your feet, the places we go, the people we choose to walk with. You know, Psalm 1 says, you know, talks about walking with wise men, you know, and and people that we hang out with. You know, if you you hang out with the wrong people, you're probably going to do wrong things. You, some of you know there's people that if you hang out with them, you usually get in trouble. You usually sin. You're usually tempted. Places that you go. You know, it reminds me of Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 27. It says, don't give opportunity to Satan. Don't put yourself in those positions, those situations. Our eyes, the things we see. I mean, we are bombarded in this society about things that can get us in a lot of trouble with our eyes. I mean, it's everywhere. It's on the computer. It's on the laptop. It's on the iPad. It's on your phone. It's on the billboards. It's at the checkout line at King Supers. I mean, I have to go through the checkout line like this. I mean, look, just the cover of the magazines that, that are there. Walking through the mall, Victoria's Secret. They have to put like 15-foot, you know, Victoria's Secret angels there, you know, to try to like not look at. Listen, can I just tell you, those are not angels. Those are temptations. I love what Job said. In Job 31.1, he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes, an agreement. Every man in this room needs to sign that covenant. I'm just going to be real this morning, to make a covenant with our eyes. But here's the point. If we really care about serving others, we must be serious about cutting sin out of our lives that might cause other people to stumble. Because it's not just about how it affects us, but it's how it affects other people. That takes our lives to another level when we think about the decisions, not just about how it affects us, but how does it affect others. I know that as a parent of two teenagers, there are things I purposely choose not to do because I I just don't want it to be a stumbling block and a temptation for my kids, and I try to be careful with, with those things. And you know what God's saying here? Just as a parent should be careful around their children, will you be careful around my children, around other believers? that we might cause to stumble. Listen, and I'm not going to play Holy Spirit for you guys today because you have a Holy Spirit that can take care of that. But you just have to ask yourself, is there anything in my life that I choose to see or do or someplace to go that I might cause me to sin and others to sin? If we really care about serving others, we'll be careful about our testimony. Amen? 
Secret to greatness is by serving others, by being last, not first, being inclusive, not exclusive, by being serious about sin, and here's the last one, and we close, by being seasoned with salt. You're like, what is that? Let me explain it. We can serve others and be great when we are seasoned with salt. Verse 49 and 50, for everyone will be seasoned with fire. Now, this word everyone in the original language here translated, the word everyone means everyone. Everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, its seasoning, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves. He's talking to his disciples, to Christians. Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another, with others. What what is Jesus saying here? I'm just going to make it as simple as I can. He says everyone will be seasoned or experience fire. Fire in the Bible is an example of trials. We're going to go through trials. We're going to go through tribulations. We talked about that last week. Suffering leads to glory. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer some kind of persecution. Life is not always easy as a Christian. Those that tell you that it is are lying. Amen? It, it, it contradicts the scripture. But here's what God is saying. Every one of us as believers will be seasoned and experience fiery trials and tribulations in our life. But here's the good news. God wants to use those trials and tribulations to help others, to encourage others, to show other people you're serious about your faith, to prove the genuineness of your faith. You see, I've said this many times. I believe our greatest opportunities to truly be a witness and testimony for Jesus is when we as Christians go through trials because that's when the lost world watches and says, okay, how real is your God and your Jesus now? And when we still hang on to hope and we hang on to faith, I loved it. Last night on 9 News, they were, they were interviewing some of the, the families. And one of the families had lost their son. And they said, but we have not lost our faith. And we know God will get us through this. And I thought, praise God, what an example. This is exactly what we're talking about right here. You guys have heard me say this many times, and I'm going to give it to you again. Trials will make you bitter or they'll make you better. They'll either make you bitter or they'll make you better. It's all your attitude about them. And if you believe that God allows us sometimes to go through trials, to strengthen and grow our faith, and also to be an example to other people, it can help you get through trials. And the trials of a Christian should make us better, not bitter. So that when we go through those trials and people see our faith and they see our hope and they see our strength, that maybe they'll come up to us and go, listen, I don't know what you have, but I want some of it. I want that kind of strength. I want that kind of faith. I want that kind of hope. I want that kind of joy. I want that kind of trust. And Jesus says, listen, disciples, when you go through trials and tribulations and you think about others, you have an opportunity to be a great example to people in your workplace, your neighbors, your friends, your family. Some of you guys have family members that don't know Christ and they make fun of you and they ridicule you and they think you're crazy for your faith. But when you go through a trial and they see you get through it with great faith, they have to take notice. It changes things. Shelly and I, the trials we've gone through in our life have made us better to minister to people, to identify with people. They've made us better, not bitter. I look back at some of the trials of our life and I thank God for them because I wouldn't be the pastor I am today. I wouldn't have the sensitiveness today. I wouldn't be able to identify today if I hadn't gone through some of those things. Jesus' secrets that he shares, these three secrets are No pain, no gain. Suffering leads to glory. Power comes through our faith. You want greater power of God in your life? Have greater faith. 
and service leads to greatness. Jesus revealed them to his disciples so they could apply them to their lives and to us so we can apply them to our lives and be true disciples of Christ today. Would you bow your heads with me? Would your heads bow?